If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 25, 2024. The podcast that calls her Tennessee. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's superize the news of the bogus. So, Judge Angeron issued his ruling in the New York Trump civil trial, and it's pretty much as we expected. Angeron, having completely ignored the appellate court, didn't allow Trump to put on a real defense, and when it came to damages, he violated more rules of the court by just taking Letitia James's numbers and using them instead of allowing the defense to file a response. After interest, it'll be something like $450 million, and Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank definitely feels some kind of way about it, using words like unjust, appalling, and un-American. In addition to the fine, Angeron banned Trump and his family from doing business in the state of New York. Just to give you one example from this extremely lengthy judgment, on page 14, Angeron said that no one can determine the value of real estate properties, and then, five pages later, said that Trump gave the wrong value. He even contradicts himself. O'Leary had previously said on CNN, So, in this case, what I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not pro or con, or I don't care about the politics, who lost money? Nobody. The bank got paid back the construction finance loan, and a new building was built, and if you're going to sue this case and win, you got to sue every real estate developer everywhere. This is all they do. This is what they do all day long, every day. So I don't think this thing will ever survive appeal, regardless of what the fine is. It's called a stable asset. And you value it, and you go to the bank and say, this asset is worth $500 million, and I want to borrow $250 million against it. And the bank always negotiates with you. Everybody understands how this works, and that's why I think it's going to be very, very hard to make this stick in reality later. This is, for real estate developers, this is a joke. After the judgment, he told the New York Post, quote, That fact that he was found guilty? You might as well find guilty every real estate developer on earth. I don't understand where someone got hurt. What developer doesn't ask for the highest price valued for any building they built? I mean, it's pretty much the definition of a negotiation. You claim it's worth a lot, they claim it's not worth as much, and you see where you meet in the middle. O'Leary reiterated his prediction that it won't stand up on appeal, quote, I want this reviewed and appealed and turned over because it's wrong for everybody that participates. If this judgment sticks, every developer must be jailed. They must be found guilty. They must be put out of business. You can't do this to one another. It's not about Trump. Right, it's about being able to do business unmolested. If the banks don't say they were conned, if they even take the stand in your defense and say there was no con, and the government can still come in and take everything, how do you have any freedom at all? He dubbed New York a loser state and said, quote, We're just stunned. You have no idea. The shockwave sent through the real estate industry. Insane. He reiterated these points on Fox Business. 
I'm shocked at this. I can't even understand or fathom the decision at all. It, there's no rationale for it. New York was already a loser state. Like California is a loser state. There are many loser states because of policy, high taxes, uncompetitive regulation. It was already on the top of the list of being a loser state. I would never invest in New York now. And I'm not the only person saying that. I can't go to New York. So I'm going to Oklahoma, North Dakota, West Virginia. Those are winner states. They don't do things like this. Do you think any foreign institution or any private equity firm or any pension fund would touch New York? No. And that's why New Yorkers should be concerned. The fine people of New York should ask themselves, why are we such a loser state? How are we going to attract business? It's not just the existing businesses that are fleeing out to Texas and Florida. What about new money like this that I'm talking about, like a $4 billion data center? Not a chance I would put that in New York. Zero probability. Never. And this has nothing to do with Trump. Nothing to do with Trump. Forget about Trump. This is not a Trump situation. This is a New York problem now. The whole world is looking at this saying, what are you doing to yourselves? And he got into it with CNN's Laura Coates. Wouldn't there be many companies who would not want to do business or loan money to people like yourself or investors if they know that they can get away with fraud and there's no recourse to protect them? Excuse me, what fraud? You really think people want to invest money in New York after this? How about we go well, somewhere I, I else? Think, how, I think how there are to... people who would, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I want to converse well, with you, you instead. You just did. I, it's, it's only because I want you're, to have a conversation, you know what? Kevin, I as opposed you. to just you, I respect you because you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. You understand yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. I ask you who lost money, and I'll make it even clearer. You and I, we're developing a data center together, and I say to you, we can go to New York where this just happened. It's your money now. You're now an investor and you're taking risk. You're an entrepreneur with me right beside me. We're together on the deal. Or I can show you Oklahoma, North Dakota, West Virginia, where the governors actually ran businesses. Let's go there where this never happened before. They have power. They have permits. They've got legislation that's supportive of entrepreneurship. Why would we go to New York? Why take the risk? Remember, New York has the highest taxes in the country, the worst regulatory environment, and it's incredibly mismanaged. And I'm pointing out now on top of that, you get this insanity, a victimless crime. And forget about Trump. It's not about Trump. I don't care about Trump in this. I care about America and I care about entrepreneurship. Nothing to do with Trump. I'm not supporting Trump. I'm supporting American entrepreneurship. And New York is slowly becoming the number one loser state in America. I'm sorry. That's what's happening. Go ahead, put your hand up. My hand. I want to put on my hand and ask, Governor, who's next? Who are you going after next? Please you want your hand us. up for that, Kevin? Put your hand down if that's know. the question. Who's what do you next? mean? Every, well, every entrepreneur in New York is saying, am I next? Who's next? Trump's lead attorney, Chris Keese, also released a statement saying, quote, During 44 days of trial, not one witness, not one complaint, and not one victim supported the attorney general's manufactured claims of fraud. Even the bankers actually involved in the loans testified there was nothing misleading, there was no fraud, and the transactions were all highly profitable. But the court blatantly refused to follow a binding appellate division decision, ignored and twisted the evidence, and imposed a draconian and unconstitutional fine and a corporate death penalty on President Trump 
his family, and the extraordinary global business empire he developed over a lifetime of hard work and achievement. Hard to imagine a more unfair process, and hard to believe this is happening in America. He promised to appeal. I guess the only good news is that this matter is now out of Judge Ingeron's hands, but given all we've covered about this out-of-control and very possibly insane judge, to echo O'Leary, who'll be next on his chopping block? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Okay, going back to Jan 6, we covered recently the revelations that the pipe bomb attack was covered up and possibly even fabricated. To quote the late great Ron Popeil, But wait, there's more! Michael Schellenberger and Alex Gutentag posted on their substack that the bomb wasn't even left at RNC headquarters as claimed. The FBI had initially claimed that the bomb was planted at the RNC on January 5 to go off on the 6th, even though, according to what the director of the Washington field office told Congress last year, it apparently only had a one-hour timer. Thomas Massey said, quote, one of the many implausible aspects of the FBI's pipe bomb narrative is that the device outside the Capitol Hill Club sat there overnight and for half the day, only to be discovered just minutes before the breach of the perimeter at the Capitol, with the kitchen timer set to 20 minutes remaining. Oh, yeah, it was a kitchen timer. Think wind-up egg timer. No word on whether it was shaped like a tomato. In addition, the FBI claims that cell phone data that could have found the bomber was mysteriously corrupted. All of the text messages between Secret Service agents on Jan 6 were deleted. And after a passerby told him about the DNC pipe bomb, Capitol Police didn't do anything and let people, including children, continue to walk right by it. Surveillance video shows an individual with a bomb-sniffing dog sweep the place a few hours earlier, so it's weird how the Secret Service would have missed it. Now, a security analysis shows that the FBI completely misrepresented the location, and it wasn't found at the RNC, but the Capitol Hill Club some 150 to 200 feet away. Not only that, but the map from the FBI, quote, misrepresents the dimensions of the RNC and Capitol Hill Club buildings, making it appear the bomb was closer to the RNC. According to the security report, quote, the map's inaccuracies may be sloppiness on the part of the FBI, 
or it may have been intentional to support the FBI's position that the bomber's target was the RNC and not the Capitol Hill Club. And the FBI just hasn't been forthcoming with other evidence. Quote, FBI has released video recordings of the alleged bomber walking through the alley, but it has not made public a video of the perpetrator planting a bomb near the wooden fence. The FBI has also declined to release video that shows the alleged bomber placing a pipe bomb near the base of a bench at the DNC. By the way, the person in question never went by the RNC HQ. As for the text messages, Schellenberger and Guttentag said that it was just inexcusable as all federal departments are required to archive all communications and multiple systems record everything agents send to each other. The two journalists also point out, quote, Beyond the implausibility of the FBI's official story about the location of the bomb is the suspicious behavior and employer of the person, Carlin Younger, who claims to have discovered the alleged bomb. At the time, Younger worked for a security contractor for the FBI. According to the security report, Younger never expressed any worry. She had reported, quote, I saw a tangle of wires. I looked closer and saw a six-inch pipe capped on both ends. Then I saw a timer that was stuck on the number 20. It was a radial dial. Was it 20 seconds ticking down? Thankfully, it was 20 minutes showing on the dial. According to the security report, quote, One would think just suspecting the object might be a bomb would be sufficient to cause her to step away from the device, but this didn't happen. Instead, Younger leaned into the bomb so she could read the dial on the timer. It pointed to 20. And to make things even stranger, quote, Younger claims that she first went to the Capitol Hill Club to inform them of the bomb. Nobody was there. She says she then went next door to the RNC building and told a security guard what she had seen. Younger says a security guard alerted the police and then, while standing outside, she says she heard someone say, over a police radio, Get to the DNC. This statement was not recorded in the Capitol Police radio traffic. What? Why not? And if this were the RNC, why would they tell them to get to the DNC? The journalists wrote, Younger's actions only make sense if she were aware the bomb was harmless. Taking time to read the dial and determine if the timer was working would appear to have been for a specific purpose, to provide details about the pipe bomb, to establish that the device was stuck at 20 minutes and, as a result, could be linked to the events at the U.S. Capitol and certification of the Electoral College results of the presidential election which began at 1 p.m. By far, this is one of the weirdest elements of the Jan 6 story, and that was a day full of weird stuff. And it would be nice if the government were more forthcoming with their evidence about what happened that day. Gee, I wonder why they're not. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? 
A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And we have another report looking back on the mistakes made during the COVID era, this time from the Rutherford Institute. Civil rights attorney John Whitehead and his wife Nisha, the Institute's executive director, published a commentary that began with a classic quote from Francis Bacon, The remedy is worse than the disease. They wrote, Any government so willing to weaponize one national crisis after another in order to expand its powers and justify all manner of government tyranny in the so-called name of national security will not hesitate to override the Constitution and lock down the nation again. It would sound like insane fear-mongering if that hadn't been exactly what happened. They quote Justice Neil Gorsuch in a statement attached to the Supreme Court's denial of certiorari in Arizona v. Mayorkas, which they denied because the case was now moot. Gorsuch wrote, Executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breathtaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, public and private. They closed churches even as they allowed casinos and other favored businesses to carry on. They threatened violators not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions too. They surveilled church parking lots, recorded license plates, and issued notices warning that attendance at even outdoor services satisfying all state social distancing and hygiene requirements could amount to criminal conduct. They divided cities and neighborhoods into color-coded zones, forced individuals to fight for their freedoms in court on emergency timetables, and then changed their color-coded schemes when defeat in court seemed imminent. They also mentioned countries such as Italy, Austria, and China, which did similar things if not much worse, much of which we covered at the time. Giving us a history lesson about the Nazi concentration camps, they wrote, Culturally, we have become so fixated on the mass murders of Jewish prisoners by the Nazis that we overlook the fact that the purpose of these concentration camps were initially intended to incarcerate and intimidate the leaders of political, social, and cultural movements that the Nazis perceived to be a threat to the survival of the regime. How do you get from there to here? From Auschwitz concentration camps to COVID quarantine centers. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to connect the dots. You just have to recognize the truth in the warning. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, once again, slippery slope is not a fallacy. Quote, This is the slippery slope. A government empowered to restrict movements, limit individual liberty, 
and isolate undesirables to prevent the spread of a disease is a government that has the power to lock down a country, label whole segments of the population a danger to national security, and force those undesirables, aka extremists, dissidents, troublemakers, etc., into isolation so they don't contaminate the rest of the populace. The slippery slope begins with propaganda campaigns about the public good being more important than individual liberty, and it ends with lockdowns and concentration camps. And the thought we should all be having in that regard is, what will happen when the next crisis arises? Will they do the same thing? Or worse? What comes next? It's understandable that we've all been wanting to get back to normal and put COVID behind us. We want to get on with our lives and just forget it as much as we can. But the part we should never forget is how easily governments can do these horrible things and how empowered they'll feel to do it in the future. That'll be worse than any pandemic that comes along. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to pre-congratulate this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week it goes to D.A. Fannie Willis and her special prosecutor Nathan Wade. We've been covering the Georgia Trump trial where Trump and about a thousand other defendants are charged with clearly bogus RICO violations because they dared to question the integrity of Georgia's 2020 presidential election. Even though we've been covering a lawsuit about Georgia's election systems going back to 2017. The part that I'm not going to go over in detail, just give you the quick summary of is. Willis and Waite are, or at least were, lovers. Her office paid him upwards of a million dollars on the taxpayer's dime, which he would then use to take her on cruises or to Aruba or other such benefits. All undeclared in direct violation of Georgia law. This all came out because Wade is currently going through a divorce, which he filed for the day after Willis made him special prosecutor. And in these briefings, he basically lied through his eye teeth about not having an affair and about the money he was getting. Now, a lot of this hinges on when this affair first began. If they became lovers after she made him special prosecutor, that'd be bad enough. But if they were already lovers, well, that makes a big scandal even bigger, especially if they testified to the contrary, which they did in a hearing last week. They both claimed, on the witness stand and under oath, that their relationship didn't begin until early 2022. 
Wade was made prosecutor in November of 2021. That testimony was contradicted by Robin Yearty, Willis's former friend and colleague. She testified that there was, quote, no doubt that their relationship began in 2019 shortly after they met. She herself had seen them hugging, kissing, and being affectionate. They'd moved into the condo, taking over Yearty's lease, because she said her home had gotten too insecure due to threats, possibly due to her RICO prosecution of Young Thug and his record label, and that included multiple police visits, including some with bomb-sniffing dogs. It was so dangerous she just had to leave. She left her elderly father to keep living there, though. And the excuse was that he was worried about COVID. In September of 2019, two months before SARS-CoV-2 was even discovered, they admitted that Wade visited Willis in her condo in Hapeville no more than ten times before he was hired, and he never spent the night. But cell phone records show that, on many more occasions, Wade went to the location late at night and left early in the morning, months before they claimed their relationship became romantic. If this evidence stands up in court, it could mean they both committed perjury. The data, obtained from AT&T via subpoena, was examined using Cellhawk, which, according to investigator Charles Middlestadt, quote, is considered by law enforcement to be the gold standard in cell phone records analytics. During the first 11 months of 2021, according to the data, they called each other more than 2,000 times and exchanged nearly 10,000 text messages. Trump's attorneys Stephen Sadeau and Jennifer Little said that Middlestat is, quote, available to testify at the court's convenience. Georgia Tech electrical professor Paul Steffies, who has been called as an expert on cell phone location data in several cases, has said there's no reason to doubt Middlestat's conclusions, although he would have to review the data himself to draw a definitive conclusion. It doesn't prove that he specifically was in her condo all night. He could have just been, I don't know, driving around it for hours or something. But most of the locations in the immediate surroundings are restaurants, where someone is unlikely to stay several hours, and certainly overnight. Former DeKalb County District Attorney Robert James pounced on that uncertainty, quote, People could look at this and be suspicious, but in the court of law, you need proof. The real question is whether there was proof there was a romantic relationship at that time, and I don't think this proves there was. It just proves a relationship which they've already acknowledged. Uh-huh. But why would he be going there at 11 or 12 at night and staying until 3 or 4 in the morning? Attorneys for the various defendants are saying that all of this makes the prosecution tainted, Willis and Wade should be disqualified, and all charges dropped. Either way, this is not good. They've clearly been lying for years, and it's catching up with them. So all that makes Willis and Wade this week's Biggest Bogani Matter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. 
To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's reindustrialize this week's Idiot Extraordinary. You know, just last week I mentioned how we hardly do cops behaving badly stories unless they're pretty extreme. This story broke right during podcast prep for that edition. So, this week it goes to Okaloosa County, Florida Sheriff's Deputy Jesse Hernandez, whose body camera video of a, let's just call it, happening, went viral. He and his partner, Sergeant Beth Roberts, had just apprehended Marquise Jackson on allegations of grand theft auto and other crimes. He was detained, searched, handcuffed, and put in the back of Hernandez's car while deputies searched for the stolen car. All of a sudden, Hernandez yelled, Shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired! Even though there were no actual shots fired. He then rolls around on the ground a few times like a failed stuntman trying out for a B-movie for some absolutely unknown reason, then squatted and fired several shots into his own patrol car, with, again, Jackson handcuffed in the back seat. Thankfully, he wasn't injured, although it was a really traumatic experience for him. At one point, Hernandez yelled, I'm hit! I'm hit! Even though he hadn't been hit with anything. As for Roberts, she didn't have a clue what was going on, so of course she fired too because that's just what cops do. And the thing that spooked him and made him go off like that? An acorn fell from a tree and hit his police car. Hernandez resigned after it was found that his use of force was unreasonable. Nice to know there's some actual line for that. Of course, if you or I had done that, we'd be going to jail for a long, long time. But charges weren't filed against either of them. Officials said, quote, We are very thankful Mr. Jackson wasn't injured, and we have no reason to think former Deputy Hernandez acted with any malice. Though his actions were ultimately not warranted, we do believe he felt his life was in immediate peril, and his response was based off the totality of circumstances surrounding this fear. The totality of what circumstances? That the perp was unarmed and handcuffed in the back of his car? They also said that Roberts' use of force was completely reasonable. Except, of course, she had no clue what she was supposed to be shooting at. Don't they teach them to identify the target before they shoot? And they wonder why the public has an increasingly negative opinion about cops. Seriously, How badly does the psychological vetting for cops have to be in order for them to keep hiring these trigger-happy bedwetters? So all of that makes Jesse Hernandez this week's Idiot Idiot Extraordinary.
Well, that wraps up this Do What I Do, Hold Tight and Pretend It's a Plan edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Richard Feynman. Science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Bogosity. <laughs>